A reading from Acts 1, 4 through 11. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. The word of the Lord. Can we go back quickly to that kids ministry meeting announcement? Just, uh, yeah. This is my favorite typo in church history. Uh, Join us for lunch in the cafeteria and hear about the ways you can join us disciplining our kids. That's totally meant to say discipling, but we'll have a session on spanking. Uh, We've got a timeout specialist who's coming in. Uh, Sugar restrictions and different types of groundings that... uh, are available to you in the repertoire of disciplining our kids. Fantastic. Thank you. Now back to back to the sermon. I do, I do actually just want to genuinely say, um, you know, quite clearly, that's our fourth time moving through the liturgy of dedication. And um, if you've been here for a while, maybe it just feels like, uh, you know, wrote to say those words that we are witnesses, we are family. But uh, our oldest is 10 years, 10 years old now, 10 and a half. And we have truly felt the support of this church family. I can't imagine having uh, had to face the challenges of raising uh, our, our kids without uh, so many of you who have been in our lives, in our home together, helping, you know, save lives in the park uh, from running into the dog pond and all kinds of stuff like that. And uh, we just love you and are so grateful to be um, pastors here, but also just to be your friends and family and to walk alongside as we try to, to raise up uh, an, another generation of, of, of people who will seek God with all their heart and to be those ourselves and whatever stage of life we're in, whether you're just brand new and, um, and just checking this place out. Uh, I, can, I can testify as someone who's been a part of it for a long time now that I'm so grateful for the spirit of family in this church. So let's discipline our kids together for a long time to come. <laughs> Heavenly Father, as we wrap up this Pentecost series, I pray that uh, you would just do some real work in, in our hearts this morning, um, that you would confront us in the places, Lord, even if we just kind of drifted into this service and are, are thinking already about the rest of our day and the rest of our week, I pray that you would give us a little sanctuary in time and um, that you would give us ears to hear and that you would uh, help me beyond what's prepared on the outline, Lord, but just that you would speak uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit of how we can walk in this Pentecost reality in in the actual details of our lives. 
We need your help in that. We, we long to do it, Lord. We, we do need covering for our sin and brokenness, God. We, we know that you provide that. We do need a true sense of our identity in you as sons and daughters. We, we know you give that. We need to know that we belong to one another and your spirit creates that in us, Lord. So just, Holy Spirit, you are, you are welcome here. <laughs> Come flood this place and change the environment, change the atmosphere, Lord. Give us just a sense of your presence and speak to us in, the, in these next few moments. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been looking at these last three weeks, this is the fourth and, and last one, at, the, at Pentecost, this birth of the church moment, this spiritual awakening um, that, that happens in Jerusalem and then begins to propel the movement of Jesus from Jerusalem across the known world. In a very real sense, we are in this uh, middle school auditorium in 2017 in Brooklyn in the wake of Pentecost, in the wake of the age of the Spirit beginning. And so the first week we looked at the person who gets up to sort of explain the phenomenon that's going on, these, these signs and wonders, tongues of fire, people speaking in languages that they hadn't studied and, and just the power of God being manifest. And Peter stands up to explain what's going on. We looked the first week at the miracle of Peter being there in the first place and how much transformation had to take place in his life to be there. The second week we looked at the crowd, uh, what they heard and then how they responded, that they were cut to the heart. And they said, well, how do we reorient our lives around what we're hearing right now? And then last week, David came and spoke to us about the community that was formed out of this Pentecost moment. What's a a Pentecost community look like? And what they were devoted to, the apostles teaching prayer, the breaking of bread, fellowship, sharing with one another, that God did signs and wonders in their midst and people were were added to their their number as as they went along. So for today, for our last message in this series, I want to go back and sort of survey the promise that, that Jesus gave before Pentecost and then scan forward and see how... From all these things we already looked at, how do we live now as a Pentecost community? How, do we, how are we actually tangibly really affected by this event that happened thousands of years ago where the Holy Spirit fell? So to get at that, I do briefly want to talk to you about Walt Disney and secret tunnels and then the age of the Spirit. So this is a confession that I have given before, but one of the most painful dynamics of my life as a pastor is to look out over our community from time to time and think about the people who make up our church. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing. But I also have many faces that come to my mind that, that are not here any longer. And it's not just one or two. It's, it's many people who once were, once were a part of our church, once were singing with us on a Sunday morning, may have filled one of these seats that are empty right now, once were serving faithfully in our church. I, I think of a particular person who was like the head of our operations team for, for years and just faithfully came in and served week after week. Those who are full of love and faith of God and now they're not here. And of course that doesn't mean that they're not necessarily full of faith, but I do know some of their stories in particular and I know that some of that faith has drained away the way, um, the way they used to believe in God. They don't anymore. And that's painful. And it's a hard reality. It certainly could send you into a spiral of like, what, what are we doing wrong? Or what are we doing right? Or how, how do we change things? And then also there's just the, you look into your own heart and you realize, gee, the line of good and evil isn't out there somewhere. It's running right through me too. And so I don't say that with a sense of like, all the, those are the ones that got away. I say it with a sense of life is really hard. And sustaining in faith and in a life full of the Holy Spirit is not easy. We're not in a neutral space. We, we say this at Trinity Grace all the time. We live in contested space. And so many of these people who aren't here, they had heard promises about abundant life, about what life was supposed to be like with God. 
And yet they looked at the reality of their actual lives and there was such a disconnect that eventually they said, I can't keep up the charade anymore. I just have to go, whatever is said about God and all these beautiful things, I just have to go with what life actually feels like. You know, we've never made a video of those stories. I made lots of videos of like, you know, like Christians, I mean, this is right, right? We watch the alpha videos and it's like, this person was just like a murdering people left and right. And then like they came to Alpha and now they're just like reading the Bible and, and just like smiling all the time. We've never like told three poignant stories of people walking away from faith and cut it together and put music behind it. We're probably not going to. But they are real, real stories. And in many cases, very, very painful. Uh, so I, I do want to acknowledge that sometimes we can be guilty of talking about our faith, talking about life with God, maybe even especially talking about something like Pentecost in Disney-like terms, like it's, like it's Disney World. Um, like it's a perfectly sunny, spacious place and everyone's smiling and full of wonder and they, there's the scent of your favorite food drifting by. I, I went to Disney World in 2010. Uh, it was less than a year after we had started the church in the fall of 2009. And it was about five years since I had lived myself in South Florida and sort of like I'd actually gotten, I was wanting seasons again by the time I left South Florida, sort of gotten over living near the beach and gotten over being by, by Disney World. But this was different. Now I'm coming back as a parent. I had two little boys that were just at the perfect magical Disney age. Both of them were obsessed with Buzz Lightyear at the time. Um, and so we walk into this park, we take a magical train and we get off and we walk in Main Street and it smells amazing. And then that 10 minutes later, there he is in the flesh, or in the robot, Buzz Lightyear. He's there. We're taking pictures. We were staying in the animal kingdom. We wake up in the morning and look out of our window, and there's just giraffes there. This is magic. It is it's a magic kingdom. I look at the photos from that trip, and I see smiling kids. I see, I see moments that were full of wonder. But there's things that the photos don't show, of course, and that none of Disney's advertisements are, include. And that's the fact that I didn't even really know much about this, but did you know that there are thousands and thousands of feet of secret tunnels that run under Disney World? So the, the, the story goes that Walt Disney himself was walking through Disneyland in Anaheim in California, and he saw like a, a cowboy walking through Tomorrowland going on his break. And he was just like, for a second, the magic was gone. The illusion of this future world was, was you know, here's a guy from the Old West just st- strolling through. And so he said, I, I got to make sure that no child ever sees Mickey Mouse taking off of his head and going for a smoke break, because then the illusion's gone. So there's thousands of feet. It's called Utilidor under there. Sounds like a pretty exciting ride. Um, but in the, in, in the thousands of feet underneath of Disney, you find the Mouseketeria, where all the cast members of Disney eat their, I'm sure, amazing um, cafeteria-style food. Uh, you see the, the Kingdom Cutters are under there. If you show up for work at Disney and you're a little bit shaggy, you can get a haircut at the Kingdom Cutters before you go on your shift. Thank you very much. Um, there's, there's no garbage ever seen being taken out of Disney World because these tunnels, the, the, it just sort of, they, they make sure, it just like the garbage just magically goes away. The control system for the entire park is under there, the rides, animation, the lights, the timing. You know how when you walk into Main Street in Disney World, they're just pumping the scents of these, mag- like, is that a funnel cake? And you're just like, I, I can't actually control myself. I have to go and spend $85 on one. Um, so we know it's the Magic Kingdom. I'm not trying to be a pessimist, but the Magic Kingdom certainly is not the full picture. And even when I look back at our smiling photos from that trip in 2010, I, I realize 
That wasn't the full picture either. With 2010, we had just started a church. We were less than a year in. We really had no business at all being away from the work we were called to do. We were at Disney in the middle of the year and a a church had just started, but Allison's father had had a stroke and they lived in St. Pete at the time. And so we went down there to be with him and we're we're spending days, what ended up being some of his last days clinging to life, we were by his bedside. And so as a diversion to all that, we took the kids to Disney World and yet you don't see any of that in the pictures. The 20th century French philosopher Jean Baudelaire uh, coined this term hyper-reality. We've talked about it before in, in, our, in our church, but hyperreality is essentially this, simply. It's when we create an image of life that's better than actual life. We create an imaginary life that's preferable to actual reality. It's, hyperreality is the difference between the brochure of Disney with the perfect smiles and the joy and the wonder. And, and certainly, it actually can be really incredibly fun, but it doesn't include the time when your kid is going to be absolutely exhausted and lay on his face and refuse to advance. It's not going to talk about the time when Elijah was so terrified of fireworks that we had to run out of Disney World like it was a war zone. Just like, it's going to be fine. There's a mouse that runs this place. Hyperreality, you already get it, but I want to tell this story because it's great. Um, Two, two friends in our church were uh, hired by Samsung to do a, a road trip commercial showing that their Samsung battery could make it all the way across the country on a road trip. So they took this actual road trip, took two weeks, and then the company cut it together with just the best moments in a 30-second ad. So they're just like throwing things in the van and driving and singing and getting out and they're at a campfire and they're standing over the, the Grand Canyon and then they're on the beach in, in the West Coast and the battery never dies. You're just like, man, that sounds fantastic. Look at that beautiful picture of, of a road trip. I want to take one. I had friends who took that exact same road trip on a spring break in college. And they were riding their, uh, they were riding their Jeep on, on the beach on this, on this like wild private beach. And they got stuck. And then the tide came in. And they lost a real Jeep Cherokee to the ocean. I stumbled across a picture of it this week in my photos. They lost a car to the sea. The Samsung commercial is hyper-reality. Watching the tide take away your car is a little bit more true to life. Was it still an adventure? Of course, but there's hardship. So we, I want to I keep us from the mistake of thinking about this Pentecost story with just hyper-real lenses on. Peter was massively transformed from the darkest failure betraying Jesus at, at his worst moment to being restored on the beach to standing up and becoming the rock of the church. The crowd was from all over parts of the world and they really did hear the voice of the Spirit in their own language and many of them came into connection with the wonders of God and, and, and tasted salvation that day. 3,000 were added to their number, the, those that were being saved. The community that was formed is, is some of the most inspiring language about community in the world. They shared everything they had with one another. They, they met together daily. They, they were in each other's lives. They were praying. They were breaking bread. They were seeing God work. But there's still secret tunnels. It's not all the magic kingdom. Most of us know that. Most of us, that's one of the, maybe the challenges you have with church is you're like, I hear your Disneyland language, but I go home and I know about my secret tunnels. 
And so I, I think we need to look back at what Jesus had actually promised Pentecost was going to be so that we can see all the things that we've been studying, rightfully so, in their context and also in their aftermath so we can know how in the realness of our lives we can live in the age of the Spirit. That's what we are in. We are in the age of the Spirit. Was Christ has ascended and his Spirit has come and we are, we are working to see what he taught his disciples to pray that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. But we also have a promise that one day Christ is gonna return and he is going to make things right and he is gonna bring his kingdom in his fullness. And yet we, have, we wanna see glimpses of that. We wanna be an outpost of that. How do we live in the age of the Spirit now? So in this text that was read, Jesus is about to leave. It says on one occasion they were eating with him And Jesus knows that he's not going to be in their midst anymore very shortly as he has been. But they're also not going back to the previous reality, the previous definition of the world they came from. They're not going back to the time of Israel and Yahweh and trying to to strain to fulfill the law. Now they're going to be filled with the life of God. A new covenant, an entirely new way of relating to God is beginning. And they're going to receive this gift of the Spirit. That's what Jesus is talking about. It's going to fill their very lives. Their lives are going to be filled with the life of God. And, and the reason why is because of what Jesus has done in his life and death and resurrection. So I want you just to consider the tension between these glorious promises Jesus is making and then the actual realities of the world. The Disney and the secret tunnels, Okay. And even so, how the promises can be counted on in the midst of the pain. uh, The first sentence of the passage begins to reveal it. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Simple details. Jesus is eating with them, but he knows he's not going to be with them very longer. What's he instruct them to do? Do not leave Jerusalem. Go wait patiently in prayer. That's the first thing that kicks off all the thrilling events of Pentecost. Go wait patiently in prayer. It's something we we, we really need to consider. They aren't just to go run along and start doing things. They had seen, they had three years of fantastic examples of things that they could go out and, and be busy doing from looking at the life of Jesus. So many examples, so many actionable steps they could have taken, and yet Jesus says to them, go, do not leave Jerusalem, go and wait patiently in prayer. They don't know exactly how long they're going to wait. He says it's a few days, but they're going to receive a promise. And what is the promise? The promise is you're going to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, each of these men, including Jesus, had already received a baptism. John the baptized, John the the Baptist, the baptizer, whatever you want to call him. John, who baptized people, baptized his disciples with a water baptism of repentance. And yet God is saying through Jesus that they're going to be baptized with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Their lives are going to be filled with the love and power and actual presence of God. But the disciples know about a secret tunnel. So even as he's saying, go wait in prayer, you're going to receive another baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They ask a question that might to us seem a little bit off topic, but for them, it's identifying a secret tunnel. They want to know about Israel. This nation of promise that God has been working with since he first called Abraham is still occupied by Roman dominance. How can we receive all these good things when our our people, our neighbors, are still oppressed under this this Roman might? All the promises God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and David seem a thousand miles off because, because we're still not restored to the place we're supposed to be. 
They hear Jesus' promise, and yet they have, like many of us, have the real life running in the back of their head and real concerns. So I want to talk about that for just a second, and it has to do with the baptism. Um, we, we need to remember very quickly that the book of Acts is a sequel to the Gospel of Luke written by the same, uh, the same writer, this physician, Luke, uh, who's telling the story of Jesus. And then he's telling the story of the Acts of the Apostles, the birth of the church, and how it spread across the Roman Empire. And in, uh, in Luke chapter 3, this is the place where it's recounted the story of John the, Bapti- uh, John the Baptizer baptizing these folks, okay? <laughs> it's easy to say. You're fine. Luke chapter 3, verse 16. John the Baptist says, I will baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So John has a prophetic sense, even as he's giving this water baptism of repentance, that one is coming, whose sandals, whose Birkenstocks he can't even touch who's going to baptize them in the power of the Holy Spirit. A few verses later, all the disciples are being baptized by John, and something distinct happens to Jesus. When all the people were being baptized, this is John 3, 21 through 22, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was being baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened up, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Now, when we see this depicted in movies, there's nothing you can do except call in the dove and have it descend on. But, but Luke is a physician trying his hand at poetry. He's trying to say, was it an actual dove? More than likely not. It was like a dove. And certainly this would have triggered some things in the, in the Jewish men and women who were listening or reading this account. It was so connected with the story they would have heard for their entire lives about creation. And Genesis, it says before there was anything, before the beginning, there was darkness and void. And it says the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. But the word hovered there is fluttered like a bird. That all the way back to the very beginning when the Holy Spirit is first depicted, it's predicted like a bird fluttering over the face of the deep. And so when the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus and rests on him, it's the same Spirit that was present at creation. And so it is coming for the anointing of God's power to spread throughout the entire world, not just for the narrow concerns of Israel or those who happen to be witnessing at that moment. Saying, you're going to receive this baptism. The baptism of repentance is crucial. What does that mean? The baptism of changing our lives to follow after God. But we also, we need the baptism of power and life and and his actual actual being flooding into our our real lives. We must also be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Filled with his love and power to continue the ministry that Jesus began himself. A ministry filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's not meant to ignore the question. It's just meant to, to... to kind of fl- flood it and say it also is included in this, in this promise. What the disciples essentially are asking, though, is something maybe even a little bit more self-oriented. <laughs> if he's going to be the king and restore Israel to its, its place, and they're his right-hand people, we know they were arguing about this earlier. What kind of throne positioning are we going to have when the kingdom is really restored? We want, we want our throne. And so it's not just that they're concerned about their neighbors. They're also concerned about their place in the movement. And when this thing is in power, what's our position of power going to be? They, they think we're about to get some thrones. And we want to know where our thrones are going to be positioned in connection with Jesus' throne. 
when they were arguing about it earlier in the Gospels, Jesus asked them, can you be baptized with the baptism that I will receive? Because you want a throne and I'm going to a cross. And even as their minds were preoccupied with that, as he's giving them the promise, you're going to be filled with the baptism of the Spirit. Their minds were still on, what's that going to do for me? And Jesus in his heart knows what it's going to do for you. It's going to empower you to live a life of taking up a cross every day. It's going to empower you to live a life of sacrificial love. It's going to empower you to break out of the cage of selfishness and the narrow concerns of just the narrative of your life and move into other people's story and actually find that that's the freest place you can be. That the freest place you can be is not just curating the desires of your own life and trying to fill, fill yourself, fill, fill your surroundings with all the comforts of your desires so that your status symbol increases and you have a throne to sit on in the world. But it's actually to go with Jesus in the way of Jesus by the cross into real freedom, into resurrection. They're going to be filled with the baptism of the Spirit. What's it going to help them do? Walk in the way of Jesus. Walk in the way of the cross and the resurrection. And how's it going to happen? I come back to it again. They're going to start with throwing a conference. They're going to wait patiently in prayer. Something immense is about to happen. Something life-changing. Whether you believe in Christianity or the claims of Jesus or not, something historically undisputable, something world-changing was about to happen. And how is it going to begin? Waiting on God in prayer. To many of us, this is a secret tunnel. To many of us, this is a place that we're not super keen on, on visiting. And I, I, It's like, give me any program for self-improvement of, in the world other than just... just Go and seek God in prayer. God says, come seek me in conversation and I'm gonna pour out on you all that you need. Let me tell you something. If we wanna know about the health of our church, we don't need a picture from this room filled to capacity on Easter Sunday. We need a couple snaps of what our prayer meetings look like. Who's there? And I tell you, there, there's a group of people laboring faithfully every week in prayer in the cafeteria. And they're a small but mighty army down there. And in many ways, even though it's a, it's, a, it's a small group, there's a small flame, it is real. And it is part of what fuels the life of God in this church. And so I just want to invite us into that reality. When God said, I'm going to change the world through Pentecost, how's it going to begin? Go wait patiently in prayer. We just took a, a parish retreat. That's why many of us were not here last week and David was, was here speaking. And the theme of our retreat was, was very simple. This summer, we wanna grow as a church in prayer. So we had two, two basic sessions. One where we broke down the Lord's Prayer and we said, what would it look like? How would our friendship with God grow if we just prayed the Lord's Prayer every day this summer? It would take you just a few minutes. But there's categories. You can break it down and wring a lot out of them. You could do it for an hour or two hours. But even just 10 minutes, what if you began each day this summer, you just said, I'm just going to pray through the Lord's Supper. Just pray through the Lord's Supper. Lord's Prayer. I'm going to pray through those categories. And we talked about if you're wanting other resources, learn to pray the Psalms. For centuries, how Christians have connected with the heart of God, how they've learned to wait patiently in prayer. What was filling Jesus' mouth in so many crucial moments of his ministry was, was the Psalms. He had learned to pray the prayer language of the saints of old. If, you wanna, if you're like, how do I begin praying? Just put the Psalms in your mouth. Just put the Lord's Prayer in your mouth. What if this summer for Trinity Grace Park Slope was a summer of prayer? 
a summer of you growing in deep friendship with God. Like I wanna see Pentecost miracles take place in this church. I 100% do. I think what I also wanna see is are we willing to wait in prayer for God? Are we willing to seek him? Soak the ground in prayer. Knock, ask, seek. I didn't choose the theme of, of prayer for the retreat because I wanted to you know, shake, you know, shake my fist at our church. It's because I wanna grow in that myself. I want this summer in my own life and all the craziness of what we've just experienced since January in our church. I want this summer to be a summer of prayer. So Jesus is answering their question. And he's saying, you're gonna receive a baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is, this, is, this is how he says it. And there's another secret tunnel in here I want you to see. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Remember their question, when are you gonna restore Israel? It's not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And as he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them from their sight. Jesus is saying to them, the Holy Spirit is gonna come and you are going to receive what? Power. Power for what? Power for what? Power to make Jesus clear in all the world. This goes back to his promise in Matthew 28 to the disciples. You're gonna, you're gonna make me and my way clear in the world. I'm gonna give you power to show what Jesus is like in real life situations to speak the message of Christ, to pray and minister to people's real needs in the way that Jesus did. The Spirit is going to make them into powerful witnesses. It's a little hot in here, but what's a witness? Not rhetorical. What's a witness? Someone who can testify? Someone who speaks about what they've seen, what they've experienced, or, or what they have, through rep- repetition, become an expert in. They, they, they're not just giving general ideas about a subject. They're saying, this is subjective experience I have with this event, this reality. This is what I have seen. We have seen Jesus' life in a way, and now we're going to be filled with his Holy Spirit to be witnesses of it. But the secret tunnel is this. This beautiful spiritual awakening, this most powerful revival that takes place in Jerusalem, that's where it takes place. And what does Jesus say? You're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Now, if you're the disciples and you experience Pentecost, you're like, we are on an amazing trajectory, 3,000 in one day, we're gonna keep growing this thing and growing this thing. And yet the, <laughs> the secret tunnel is that by Acts chapter eight, their movement had become so pervasive in Jerusalem that there was a strong backlash against it and a persecution arose in the church. And you know what the pain of that persecution did? It scattered those early believers. Many of that central part of that church were scattered to where? To Judea and Samaria. Even as Jesus promised, the baptism of the Spirit is gonna come. You're gonna have power. People's lives are gonna be transformed. There's gonna be signs and wonders. And you're gonna be scattered in painful persecution to places where you don't normally live and didn't want to go. I spent a lot of my life praying that God would give me like a Disney World type life. Make things easy, make things simple. The beginning, the, even the minor threat of pain, I'm like, God, please take it away. That's part of my personality. I, I wanna like, I deal with fear through optimism. <laughs> things could be bad. New program, let's go. Sign up for the marathon. Like, you know, start a band, whatever. Just like, keep going forward. 
Some of you, though, have come to know that it's often in your pain, in your weaknesses, in the reality of the secret tunnels, that your deepest growth has taken place, that God's given you the most profound depth of ministry in your life. It's come through those points of pain in your life where you were honest, where you were vulnerable, where you share what it really was like to be a human being and someone else connected with that and said, oh my gosh, you know what it feels like to have an anxiety attack? Oh, you've had the inky darkness of depression on your life before? Oh, you know what it's like to to long to be able to have a child and not to have one. Oh, you know what it's like to be, you know, drifting into a stage of life you never thought you would hit without finding the one. You know what that's like. And, and it's these pain points. The church is a community that, that's learning to rejoice with one another and to weep with one another. And both of those require coming out of the cage of selfishness. You're not really going to be clapping for someone else if you secretly think that should have been me. Ugh. And you're not really going to be weeping with someone else unless you move into their story, into their pain. And And some of us know it's only because we've experienced pain ourselves. What happens in some of those painful moments when that stuff arises, our motives begin to be exposed. And I was like, I just wanted a Disney World life and my motives are being exposed. My pride is being deflated. I'm becoming rooted in something that's more than just my moods and circumstances. When my mood and circumstances are great, following Jesus is a piece of cake. Fantastic. Put another worship song on. But in my pain, very often, I'm, I'm challenged to say, can I go deeper than my, my circumstances? I become desperate for God in intimacy. I become desperate for God in prayer. And then I grow in maturity and compassion. There's nothing like my pain in my life that helps me have compassion with someone else comes up and shares their pain with me. Now I'm moving towards them. It's why the New Testament is filled with what seems on the surface like absurd statements. Count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of any kind. Who is insane enough to do that? Only people who believe that even in the highs and the lows of of life, God is present, God is working, God is active, God is true. True to his promises. Even when you're being scattered, you might be being scattered right into the promise. Right into the place where God has intended you to go anyway. We've had a pretty challenging start as a church of 2017. I've, I've talked about it a little bit, but this church, Trinity Grace, this one church is now becoming these distinct separate churches. There's a lot of challenges. There's been a lot of pain in the midst of it. If you're just new with us, there's some old podcasts you can go look at to kind of get caught up on what's happening. But it's been a really challenging thing. There's been many times where I've just wanted to like throw my hands up and say, what's it, what's it all worth it anyway, God? What are we doing here? What about the people that are gone? What about this vision that we were supposed to have had? And maybe God is scattering us right into the place we're supposed to be. Maybe we are entering the most exciting and promising time of the life of our church we have ever had. And it's because our plans are crumbling in the way we thought they might have gone. I love when the angel appears in this story, and this is how we'll end. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently into the sky as he was going. And when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, saying, Men of Galilee... They said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This Jesus who said he was, who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Why are you looking into the sky? Really, angels? (laughs) Because Jesus just went up there. And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, okay. Well, Jesus has ascended, but he is going to return. And there's something to be about in the meantime. 
You have to go and begin waiting patiently in prayer. You have to begin to receive the promise that you're going to be baptized in power. You're going to have to have people whose lives have been radically transformed. They were utter betrayers, and now they're standing up to proclaim the gospel. The people that were scattered and far away are being drawn in and hearing in their own language, and people are being healed, and people are being set free, and people are being given life, and a whole new type of community is coming. Now isn't the time to be staring into the sky looking for sort of rounded off spiritual platitudes. Now is the time to get dirty. Our hands and feet in the work of becoming Pentecost people. And that's the question for us at the end of this, this, these four weeks of reflection is not do we think that was a, a beautiful experience that some people had a long time ago, but will those rumors of God be true now? Will we, will, will we be a Pentecost people? I don't want to stare into the sky looking for rounded off spiritual advice column platitudes. I want to be moving into this city with expectation right now. So my question is, will we be a Pentecost people? People who are filled with the extravagant promises of God, but we expect them to come in the hardship of real life. We expect on Monday to celebrate something God did. Oh, this person came to faith. On these 10 weeks of Alpha, it was a a beautiful experience. And then the next day, the phone rings and there's there's a, a tragic pastoral concern going on. And it's real life. And that's just, that's just my week. Your week has been full of, of real details. <laughs> Will we be Pentecost people, people who are willing to wait on God in prayer day after day, knowing that that's the place that he speaks and guides us. That's the place that we grow in intimacy with him. Will we be Pentecost people, people who know that our pain has deep, deeper potential than just making our life hard, that God can use it to expand our hearts and to grow us into the fullness of the mission of love that we're called to? Will we be those who speak as witnesses because we've had real encounter with Jesus? We're not just speaking general ideas. We're not just talking about a secondhand faith. I've heard this and I'm passing on. No, I've seen and experienced. I've tasted and I've seen. I want you to drink deeply from the well of living water. Will we be those who expect we have to to have the baptism of repentance and and, and turning our lives over to Christ and going a new way, but we also were craving, longing for, asking for, repeated filling, baptism of the Holy Spirit. We want your life in our life, God. So if any of those things begin to to prompt your heart, to draw you towards God in prayer, let's not let this, this season of Pentecost pass without saying, God, form us into this. As individuals and as a church, let us be a Pentecost people fit to live in the age of the spirit while we're still saying, Jesus, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We wanna see the Disney World beauty and miracles of Pentecost and we also wanna be able to live in the reality of secret tunnels. We wanna walk in the the realness of life and be real people. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I know that our church didn't need to be convinced that life can be hard. We all live it. But maybe maybe this morning we need to be convinced that your love for us is so extravagant, that you're longing to pour out your spirit, that your eyes are looking to and fro, looking for for those who, who wanna walk faithfully in your ways and and if we failed those ways that you want to pick us up and heal us like you did Peter and, and put a song in our, in our hearts and words on our lips. 
We, we are longing for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. We, we're sunk without it, God. I don't want to just go through the repetition of pulling off church services without the life of God in our midst. And yet, I pray this summer, Lord, that we might grow in prayer as a church like we never have. I pray for, even if it's not extravagant commitments, Lord, that it would just be the simplicity of people saying, I can pray the Lord's prayer every day, slowly. I can do that every day this summer, and I will. And I pray you would just meet them in grace by your spirit. I pray we'd learn to pray the Psalms and put your, your, your prayers of your saints in, in our hearts. Pray you'd make us witnesses, Lord. So in any way, Lord, that your church needs to respond to you this morning, whether it's an individual or, 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 or a family or, or a section of a community, Lord, I pray you would speak to us. You would have your way. You would do your work. Your spirit would move in this place. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Church, as we do every week, I just want to invite you into a few moments of silent reflection. No one's listening to your inner thoughts, so you might as well be honest. Speak before God and say, what do you want to say to me? What are you inviting me to? What do you want me to put in your hands? What do you want me to commit? What do you want me to confess? And let him, like a good father, draw you into wide spaces of freedom and love to be filled with his spirit. We'll have that few moments of silence, and then we'll come back. We'll take communion, we'll worship, pray, and respond to God together throughout the rest of our time. Pray right where you are how God would have you respond.